So today we continue our series, Risen Indeed. It's a reflection on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also a response to the glorious news of Easter that Jesus has been resurrected, that Christ is risen. Yes, and he is also risen in deed. That is, that the resurrection life has an effect on who we are and how we live, and we should expect that we should live in a way that is marked by the resurrection. So I have some servers who are coming now, and they're going to be uh, serving you some cups. This is not a communion, but hold on to this. Uh, a little later in the service, we're going to have a taste testing um, for you. So just hold on to those, and uh, we'll get to it in a minute. And then also, while you hold on to those cups, I would like for you to go ahead and take out your cell phones and have them uh, ready at hand. Uh, we'll be using them as well. I know for some of you that seems a little counterintuitive in the midst of the church service. And for some of you, you already had them out, so you're just ready anyway. So last week we started this series, Risen Indeed, and Phil focused on the Beatitudes. What a strange group of people. Talking about people at the end of the rope, the poor, the mournful, those who are hunger, hungering for justice, the persecuted, and other oddballs like the peacemakers. Who are those folks anyway? Such are some of you. When Jesus calls them blessed over and over and over, I think, Jesus, you keep using this word, blessed. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, thanks for laughing, Ed. <laughs> Caught the reference there to Andre the Giant. So yeah, blessed... Listen, if you're poor, that's not blessed. If you're mournful, if your heart is heavy, if you're sorrowful, that's not blessing. If you are hungering for justice, right? If, if, you, if injustice has become your norm and you are hungering for justice, if you're persecuted, how in the world, Jesus, would you call these people blessed? But they're blessed, I believe, because Jesus has said the kingdom is at hand and that they are included in that kingdom. And that is good news. So today we're going to kind of pick up on the heels of the Beatitudes, the very next section uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you on a light stand, on a hilltop, on, I want you to shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. I love that translation. According to Mark Kurlansky uh, in his book, Salt, A World History, there are 14,000 uses of salt including the manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, 
the melting of ice from winter roads, which I know for you all that, that might have sounded just like complete nonsense. Ice is something that doesn't only come in a glass. In some parts of the world, it forms on the roads. Yes, it's true. And then in order to take care of that, they spread salt on it and it melts. It's, for some of you, that might have been a completely new concept. And praise the Lord for it. Um, salt is used as fertilizing our agricultural fields. It's used for making soap. It's used for softening water. It's used for dyeing textiles. Uh, as we know, uh, salt is also a preservative. Until modern times, it provided the principal way in which people preserved food. Uh, Egyptians used salt to make mummies. This ability to preserve, uh, to protect against decay, as well as to sustain life, made salt a very high commodity in the ancient world. Homer called it a divine substance, and Plato described it as being especially dear to the gods. Salt was to the ancient Hebrews, and for that matter, to contemporary Jews as well. Uh, it was this um, covenant of God. Um, the Torah speaks of this, particularly in the book of Numbers. It says, it is a covenant of salt before the Lord. And later in Chronicles, the Lord God, this is a quote, the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over, uh, the kingdom of Israel over to David, to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. So loyalty and friendship are sealed with salt because its essence doesn't change. Even once salt is kind of dissolved into a liquid, salt can be evaporated back into square crystals. So the salt is always there. That's why it's so easy to taste. In both Judaism and, interestingly enough, also in Islam, salt seals a bargain that is immutable. Indian troops pledged their loyalty to the British with salt. Ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans included salt in sacrifices and offerings, and then they invoked gods with salt and water. Some folks have imagined that this is the origin of Christian holy water. Perhaps, perhaps not. Bringing bread and salt into a home is a Jewish tradition that dates back to the Middle Ages. And although the British dispensed with the bringing of bread, for centuries they continued to carry salt or to bring salt into a new home. The book of Ezekiel mentions rubbing a newborn infant with salt to protect them from evil. In France, until this practice was abolished in 1408, children were salted until they were baptized. Uh, I don't think we're still doing that. A little salt on the kids. Uh, parts of Europe, especially Holland, uh, have the practice, they still modify that practice because they'll put salt in with a baby in their crib. Uh, it's a practice. It's a, um, well, I'll move on. There's a French uh, folklore that tells the story of a princess who told her father, I love you as much as salt. He was offended. It's like, what? So he banishes her. Like, she just loves me as much as the condiment. And then later in life, he was deprived of salt and then realized what a commitment it was and regretted kind of sending her away and realized the depths of his daughter's love. Scientifically, salt is a chemical term. It's for a substance. It's a reaction of an acid and a base. I know you weren't quite prepared for this, but stick with me. 
When sodium, which is an unstable metal that can suddenly burst into flame, reacts with a deadly poisonous gas named chlorine, it combines to make a, a stable food, uh, sodium uh, chlorine. The only family of rocks that humans eat. There are many salts, of course. A number of them are edible and often found together. One of the most, like, one of the most common is the sodium chlorine. It's what you uh, shake out of a salt shaker. And it, that's what we say when say, we say something tastes salty. But there are other salts. Uh, sometimes they make things bitter. Sometimes they uh, make things sour. But they're always valuable to us. Uh, baby formula contains three types of salt. Uh, magnesium chloride, uh, potassium chloride, and, of course, sodium chloride. Modern scientists will argue about how much salt an adult human needs to be healthy. Estimates range from two-thirds of a pound to more than 16 pounds per year. That's a big difference. Uh, people who live in hot weather, especially if they do physical labor, need more salt because they replace the salt that's lost in sweating. I am a free sweater. I sweat all the time. I don't know why the Lord has called me to Florida. This is a miserable place to live about 10 months out of the year for me. That, that, might, sound lo- that might sound longer. You thought I was going to say six months, didn't you? or eight months, or nine months. There's only 10 months that the outside is actually bearable for me. Like, I always have the air conditioning on. We, we make this place a meat cooler on Sunday mornings, and I still come in here and sweat. In fact, I'm going to take my jacket off right now. <laughs> Getting hot just thinking about it. I know that one so well. I'm preaching to myself. Whenever uh, records exist of humans in different stages of development, as in the 17th and 18th century in North America, it is generally found that hunter tribes neither made uh, nor were treated for salt. So it's interesting. When hunter tribes were going after wild game, they didn't need salt in their diets because uh, all carbon-based life forms need it. So the wild animals would find salt and a salt lick. And so then people who were eating from that had the salt they needed. It was when we shifted from being kind of hunters and gatherers to ag- agrarians, kind of growing our food, that we realized that, hey, we don't have enough salt and we need it. How we figured that out, we're not sure, but we realized that that is the case. So take out the top cracker. All right, everybody, let's give it a shot. That is not good. I can't hardly talk now. (laughs) Whose idea was this? Now, let's try one that's salted. It's amazing how common salt is. It's found everywhere in the world. Although we didn't always know that. And so, when we didn't realize how common it was, cultures were formed around it. Trade routes were formed to, to make it. Uh, ancient people would follow animals because they know that, that their instincts were going to find it. And so they would use it. And I think this is amazing then that Jesus says to us that we are to be salt. This is, this is the, a great metaphor for um, how we are to be in the world. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's move on to light. According to the International uh, Commission on Illumination, which is a thing, 
Light is electromagnetic radiation. Of course it is, with a certain proportion of electromagnetic spectrum. So light comes in lots of forms, not just that which is visible. Of course, light is what makes uh, sight possible. There are some light, though, that we can't see, infrared and microwave, for example. The scripture loves the metaphor of light. In Psalm 27, 1, it says, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I, uh, of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light, and it gives understanding to the simple. 1 Timothy 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's uh, special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. John, uh, in the Gospel, chapter 1, this kind of beautiful poem about Jesus, starts with these words. You know it well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Martin Luther King Jr. says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And he also said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's interesting, there is no such thing as a flash dark. There's a flash light, right, but not a flash dark. Like, you can't buy something, put batteries in, you turn it on, and boom, there's, there's darkness just coming out. Darkness seems to be the natural state of things. Light, though, expels that. Now, we know that, um, I think it was Simeon Vey who said, whenever we light a candle, it casts a shadow. And if we're honest with ourselves, we realize this light that Jesus is calling us to be is a bit of an ideal that we do not always live up to. That we don't become light because we can generate it within ourselves. We become light. Forgive me. We become light because God is within us. And it's only in our brokenness that the light comes through. Perhaps it was uh, Leonard Cohen uh, surely somebody else said it before him. But the Canadian songwriter, he wrote that song, Hallelujah, that I really love. Um, he said that's just it, that the light comes through our brokenness. When Paul says we're uh, vessels of clay, jars of clay, it's not just that we hold that which is God within us in some way that we contain it. But it's that in our brokenness, the light kind of shines through. Um, maybe just a little bit of self-disclosure. Um, I'll get it out. You see, I stand before you today a hypocrite. Um, it's easy to preach these things because they can roll off your tongue. You can sit in a room and you can read a book. You can study scripture for years. But it's not so easy to live. So, um, Angela and I, a year and a half ago, 
took in um, two little girls who were or are pretty damaged. And you would think, as an adult, a pastor of a church, a professor of Bible at a, at a Christian college, treat a broken seven-year-old girl with kindness. But my Lord, it doesn't always happen. So as I was trying to say before I fell apart, is that it's not that we always get it right. It's not even that we often get it right. In fact, it might only be in our brokenness that the light of God that was within us can shine through. And so we, we live with this. And we sometimes wish it was different. And we pray for it to be different. And we pray for things that we then have to ask for forgiveness that we prayed for. But I think, nevertheless, we have to trust that when Jesus said, we're salt and light, that we are salt and light. Now, back to Simeon Vey, uh, anytime a candle is lit, a, a shadow is cast. And let me tell you, I've seen a lot of shadows. <clears throat> I've seen some shadows in a little seven-year-old girl, and I mean some, some like dark shadows, and, it's, and I've seen the darkness in my own soul when the veneer of my pretending kind of gets stripped away and I live with the self that I am and not the self that I wish I was. But in the end, we serve the one who is the light. You have your cell phones? We're going to try something here. We're going to make uh, the room as uh, dark as we can we have some ambient lighting that's impossible to get rid of, but here it comes, so don't get scared. So now that we're all in the dark, I'd like for you to take your phones. If you have a flashlight option, turn it on and just hold it up. It's amazing how much light can be produced by just a few of us. You see, <clears throat> one flashlight one cell phone would not be enough for us to see. But together, we can produce something that we can't produce on our own. The light that shines from within us and through our broken cracks is not the only light in the world because there's the light of our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, our children, our friends, our loved ones. And together, in a dark world, there can be light. For it is the light of God that shines in us all. We'll turn the lights back on. I want to go back to that passage of Scripture. We'll, we'll just look at it for a second. And this time from the NRSV, as much as I love Eugene Peterson, um, there's this, uh, the NRSV has this translation at the end I want us to focus on. So then RSV says, you are salt, you are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to, Father, to your Father in heaven. It's particularly that last verse I wanted to focus on. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Look, uh, there is a huge misconception in the Christian church. And the more evangelical and the more conservative, I think the stronger the misconception it's this idea somehow that the Old Testament is about law and the New Testament is about grace, that the Old Testament is about works and the New Testament is about faith, that God tried to set a standard for us that we couldn't live up to. So he's like, ah, oh, shucks, these kids stink. I'll just give them Jesus and wink at everything they do wrong. That could not be farther from the truth. Look, when Jesus reads the Old Testament, he doesn't read it as some kind of high standard that poor, lowly humans can't live up to. He reads it as some kind of bare minimum just to be in the community. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Look, we know that there's nothing we could do if Christ has not done what Christ has done, but that's just the point. Christ has done it. And so the work of Christ is efficacious. The cross has power. His life, his death, his resurrection that we celebrated two weeks ago has changed the very fabric of the universe so that we, those who are filled with his spirit, can live in deed, right? So that our light can be a light so that other can see our works. Jesus expects us to live differently. And, and I get it. I just broke down and cried a second ago. I'm not saying it's easy. I know it's hard, but when he says, look, you have heard it said, do not um, uh, commit adultery, but I say to you not to lust. He's not saying, look, I know you couldn't live up to that high standard, so I'm going to give you this low one, right? It's the inverse of that. You don't accidentally commit adultery. It's not like you're on... Publix, aisle six, and you're like, oh, man, I committed adultery. <laughs> right? You've got, a lot, you've got to make a lot of mistakes before you get there. You've got to make a lot of bad choices before you get there. Jesus' expectation is higher. Because, frankly, my friends, you can lust on aisle six in Publix. When he says, I, you have heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you not to hate. Once again, his standard is much higher, not much lower. Sometimes I don't even like myself. When he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. Man, and that sounds like a good one, right? And sometimes a hard one. <laughs> he even says, love the people in your own house. Sometimes that's hard. <laughs> But then he says, you have heard it said that, but I'm telling you to love your enemies. You see, while last week's sermon, um, focusing on the Beatitudes, that being risen indeed, 
is, is such a comforting and kind of welcoming uh, message. I'm so glad that Jesus started there, right? Because do you want to be a part of this group? Don't worry. Uh, you can be, right? So what if you're mournful? Well, we'll take you in. What if, what if you are the um, victim of injustice? We'll take you in. What if you're poor? Yeah, come on, you're included. He's including anybody and everybody. I mean, that guy, I'm telling you, he just likes everybody. But once you're in, right, once you're a part, once you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then all of a sudden the bar does go up. In fact, the bar goes way up. He says, let this be what it looks like to be a human being, right? Let this be what it looks like to live in the kingdom. This um, go the second mile, turn the cheek when they strike you, give them your shirt when they sue you for the coat, judge not lest you be judged, kingdom. It is full of the works of God. Following, following Jesus is more than being thankful for his faithfulness. We should be thankful for his faithfulness, but it's more than that. It's more than being grateful for his life, death, and resurrection. This far outdistances any standard that had previously been given. Do not think that I have become to abolish the law. These are the very next words after the salt and light passage. Do not think that I've become to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that section ends with these words. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. James, Jesus' brother, says we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That call to worship that we opened with, we chose it because it's part of the uh, lectionary for today. I love that passage, and I hate that passage. <laughs> I love it because of the promise that it gives. I hate it because the standard that it requires. It's so cut and dry. Look, there's plenty examples of modern Christianity of people who have lived this salt and light world. Giants, really. I mean, there are plenty of examples in this room that I could name as well. But I'm a man of letters, right? I like to read. So I'm thinking of people like William Blake, like Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, like G.K. Chesterton, like Fyodor Dostoevsky, or activists like Martin Luther King, or like Dorothy Day, or like Wendell Berry. You might not know him as well as the others, but he is, he is well known. He's an activist. I love this guy. He's a farmer and a poet. Now that's a nice combination of a human being. He's still living. He lives in Lexington, Kentucky. One of his kind of famous uh, proverbs is a paraphrase on Jesus. He says, do unto others downstream as you would have those upstream do to you. Now, as an Appalachian American, I can get behind that. <laughs> do unto others downstream, as you would have those upstream do to you. Look, once again, um, pray for me, <laughs> right? Uh, for those of you who know, uh, serotonin is a hormone that your amygdala releases 
that puts you in the state of fight or flight. Or, or in the case that I'm dealing with, I think it's mostly fight or fight. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's of the devil. I'm just kidding. It's a very natural process. We need it to survive. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not giving up. And I don't want you to give up. I know it's tough. And I know we fail. I know that I fail. So that's why we come back, right? That's why we practice. That's why we read the scriptures. We profess the creeds. We tell ourselves. What do you think the psalmist said? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. It's because his soul wasn't ready to bless the Lord. His soul felt like crap, right? His soul was black and dark. And he had to say to his soul, all right, soul, shake it off. Come on, soul, get going. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. God in heaven, Lord, we love you, but we want to love you more. We come not out of our strength, but out of our weakness. We come not out of our riches, but out of our poverty. We come, Lord, because you've invited us. And we pray, Jesus, to your Father, that through your life and death and resurrection, and through the indwelling and power of your Spirit, that we would have freedom freedom to, to love and serve, freedom to be salt and light, freedom to be transformed evermore into the, your image, Jesus, the image of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray in the presence of the Spirit.